Jason, yes. welcome. Thank you for having me. Glad you're here. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I know you're a busy guy and uh, much more famous than anybody here, that's for sure. I beg so to differ. My first question is, you're the reason that Lauren didn't go to Paris? Yeah, I, I hate to say it. Yes, you're right. I, I, I am. I am, the, I am the reason why. So I got to confess and just say, I, I really don't know what that means. Okay, fair enough. You know what I mean? But I have we have a good prep team. So yeah, I was I like told that. that I have to lead off with this question. I know question. you got all the yeah, box sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, yeah just, exactly, I'm just exactly. I'm just kidding. Seen every episode. Um, so um, you and your family yes. recently moved here to Tennessee. How long have you been here? We are approaching two years, which is is crazy to think of how fast this has flown by. Yeah, um, we absolutely love it. Uh, we came out here for a more wholesome um, lifestyle and just to change the scenery, get out yeah. of the riffraff and the uh, you know just the uh, keeping up with the Joneses in, in Orange County. Again, yeah. love Orange County. Got twenty two family members that are still there, but yeah. You know, I had I had young kids, still have young kids, and we thought like, hey, if we're ever going to make this shift and and you know try to do something like this, we should do it now so we don't uproot them. And um, it's been it's been working incredible. Uh, kids are thriving, wife is thriving, um, and honestly, I mean, it's it, the the beautiful part about that is that, and you know, when you do something like that, you pick up and move across the country, um, you know, and leave all that family behind. It really ha- it provides an opportunity for you to grow a lot stronger within your marriage. Um, and uh, that's been a big blessing. Uh, again, there's there's trials and tribulations that go yeah. along with that, but anything worth having is not easy. And so, that's um, right. you know, we we made that move. And uh, again, a big testament that to that is is even why we're here is you know through sobriety and being able to be in a place to be able to make decisions like that. Um, you know, any form of active addiction for me would not been able to make uh, a decision to move across the street, let alone across the country. So, um, you know, it's very grateful, um, and we and we love it here. Uh, Give you a side note, real quick, is actually my whole family, my mom's whole family's from Tennessee. So there's roots here. Uh, mom was born in Memphis. Grandparents grew up uh, grew up off of Moore's Lane in Brentwood, and then I have like right. great aunts and stuff that live in Thames Ford and Clarksville. And coming so, home, then coming home, man, yeah. coming home. Is this where your wife's from? No, my wife is from Northern California. Okay, yeah. all right. So big change for her. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I'm a believer that relationships are built, not found. Yep. Hundred percent. You know, and you got to keep building. Correct. Right. And Correct. so, um, I'm curious as to what, you know, moving from California to Tennessee, it is a big change. You know, mm-hmm. here in Nashville, I mean, it's, it's a big little city. Yeah. Right. Agreed. And you have everything that you need, but you can also drive. 20 minutes outside of town, just 20 minutes outside of town. <laughs> Correct. And be in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, absolutely. and have access to those green spaces and places. And what was the biggest challenge um, uh, for you and your family kind of making that jump? You know, there. It, I think the biggest challenge, like as a whole, was it was leaving the family behind because, yeah, um, for Support me, it, network. It, it was. It's not yeah. only that. But I just grew up in a very, very. I mean, parents who celebrated fifty years of marriage last year and just a very, were very, very close. Every Sunday, we'd get together at barbecues, watch football. Yeah. Um, and so, to you know, there's you know, twenty two of us that lived within a very, very close proximity of each other, and so leaving that behind was the most challenging. Um, but coming over here, we have some friends and we've known some people that have been over here for quite some time and getting even having family. Um, I think coming over here, it was there wasn't a huge ch- challenge. I think we came over here just with no expectation, which is it was awesome because like, hey, we don't awesome. like it. That's uh, right. We can move back. Yeah, that's right. Uh, 
uh, I almost went through a grieving process, you know, with after that first year. I'm like, dude, we're not going. Because like, you have to understand, my wife flew out here with her, with her mom, the kids. You know, I was following the movers, and I'm out here with my dog driving through, like, New Mexico. And I'm like, dude, what am I doing? Like, why am I moving <laughs> yeah, to Tennessee? Yeah, yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, lo and behold, uh, you know, like I said, this it was – I was had to say I had this grieving process of, like, we're not going back. Yeah. Um, which is challenging because parents are, you know, that are 70 and – you know, they're again. Seventies the new fifty, but it's you know you can see them just aging and, and not seeing them on as as often is is yeah. challenging. And so we've been more intentional about having more trips yeah. of of them coming out and and us going back and um, you know planning that because uh, you know for me you know there's the three most important things in life out of out of God and sobriety is is family is 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 one of those. So yeah, and sometimes. I've moved a lot in my life too. And what I've learned is that change is constant, you know? Yeah. And so sometimes what, what what I've thought about of where I lived before changes yeah. almost immediately after you leave and you go back and you say, man, I, I this is interesting because I envision it as always the same. Right? Well, it's the perspective you get when you, you, go, you know, it's funny. <laughs> you leave Nashville, people playing the guitars in a good mood yeah. and you land in LAX and it's just a different, yeah. it's a different vibe, man. So what do your kids love the most about Nashville? Uh, my kid, I mean, my two-year-old, I think it's, it's too young for him to kind of express exactly what it is that he loves the most. But my, my daughter is just, it's seeing her outdoors. I mean, she, mm. and, and I think this playing and, and scraping up her knees and, and, and being a kid, you yeah. know what I mean? And that's, that was one of the things that I, you know, I feel like was, was taken away just from where we were. It was, um, again, and it's, I'm not saying, I don't want to make this like a bashing session about that, but just no, our no. perspective on the stuff that we were witnessing just wasn't conducive to what we wanted to see for yeah. our kids. And, yeah. um, you know, I just, I'd say just being outdoors, the freedom, you know, and, and really embracing that riding bikes, you know, having power wheels and, and, you know, yeah. running around with friends, playing tag, hide and go seek. Catching and bugs. It, yeah. You literally yeah. you know, catching yeah. lightning bugs yeah. and mason jars and, and just things that she wouldn't, wouldn't have experienced there yeah. that I know that she's just very, very happy about. And, you know, she, she has her moments where she's like, you know, I miss the water or I miss, you know, I miss mm. certain friends or certain family, but, um, you know, she really, uh, she really, you know, my daughter who's six, just, she absolutely loves it here. Yeah. Talk to me about, well, how long have you been in recovery, Jason? Jeez, man, that's a loaded question. Uh, I've been around recovery or in some way, shape or form since I was 18. I'm 36 now, uh, really entered into recovery, like July 23rd, 2010. Uh, that's when I like really got sober and, and, you know, uh, dedicated my life to, to making a shift. And then congratulations. I, thank you. But then I went back out for a couple of years, um, and then re-entered back in December. I'll have four years in December. Awesome, man. Yeah. Congrats. It's hard work. Yeah. It's, you know? <laughs> yep. That is, you can say that again, for sure. But at one point, there is this moment in recovery, in my experience, I'm not sure if you can identify, but it's where you stop running away from the disease and you start running towards recovery. Yeah. And it's a mind shift and it's a posture of your heart that begins to adjust a little bit towards, hey, I'm going to start chasing the things that, you know, fill my soul up yeah. versus whatever problems I was having in my marriage or in my job or got a couple DUIs or whatever it is. And that is a beautiful part of what recovery gives us is um, m much more than just what you hear people say, a new way of life, but really it changes the fabric of your character and those lost dreams awaken and new possibilities arise. No, know? it really does. And I think like one of the most beautiful things I ever heard around recovery or, you know, sobriety as a whole, or even as addiction, it's like, you know, you're willing to give up one thing, uh, to have everything or you're right. willing to, to, let me say that again. It's you're willing to give, you know, you're willing to, to sacrifice everything 
for one thing, right? right? Or are you willing to give up one thing to have everything? Right. And I think right. that was kind of, a, it was, when I heard that, it really resonated, it resonated and hit home. Yeah. And um, I think through that process, you know, what I found that was the most beneficial and or helpful is once I really identified that structure and consistency creates safety, and I got into that, I, I'm a person that really thrives on structure. Me um, too. And Love it took, structure. It took a long time. And because one of my biggest like triggers was chaos, right? And like, mm. and, and I don't like being out of control. And mm. um, but once I started to figure out that stuff and I started to identify what was most beneficial for me, right? Because in active addiction, you lose so much sight of who you are and, and, what, what it even means, what, what are your priorities? What are the things that you like? And so once you're growing and developing and you actually start to reap the benefits from it, that's that's what becomes a motivational uh, component for you to keep, keep going. I appreciate what you said about control. And if you don't mind, I'd like to dive a little deeper into that with you and your experience. You know, we don't like to be out of control, yeah. right? Which some people might assume would be the opposite of what's true, right? You know, <laughs> very contradicting to, yeah. to the behaviors yeah. that come with it. So can you speak about that? Any insights you've learned in recovery about the nature of control in your life? Yeah. I mean, for somebody that was, was so out of control, right. um, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, I mean, just the most unaccountable, uh, person, uh, you know, and, and I, I just like, I look at when I was in my active disease, like I just lost, passion and hope for, for everything that I liked, you know what I mean? And, and so everything literally was, was, was decimated. It was, it was, it was out of control versus being in, in control and having, you know, being somebody that is accountable and somebody that can, is, is a good friend, that is a good husband, that is, uh, that is there. Um, you know, and, and I think having that in control, it's like, it was a, a new perspective because again, when you're, you're in it, you don't realize until you make that shift and get out and kind of can take a look back. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I mean, it's, I kind of take that into control of perspective of just what I'm able to contribute and be an active member in society. Mm -hmm. today. Yeah. You know, control is all, it, my experience with control is all about safety. Yeah. You know, like not wanting to be, I, I, I want to be in control because it's safe. Yeah. You know, because I can predict what's going to happen next. Yeah. To make sure that my needs will be met because at the core of who I am, I'm scared that you're going to reject me or that we'll be abandoned, yeah. or that ultimately addiction is a lot about not getting what we really want in Correct. the core of who we are. And we just cover that up with whatever it is, whatever behavior or substance that you're choosing to use to change your mood and your mind, you know? Correct. Escapism, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, escapism. escapism. So I've been uh, to LA several times um, all over California and gone to some beautiful meetings in California. There's such a rich recovery culture in that state. And so many incredible people that are changing their lives. I mean, just great groups. Yes. As you move to Tennessee, and I assume continue to uh, access your recovery through meetings and sponsorship and those relationships that you develop, are, are there any differences that you noticed as a, as a function of kind of recovery culture in Tennessee and California? It's... Um I mean, it depends on how much you immerse yourself, right? And I think mm -hmm. you can find what you want when you put the, the time and energy towards it. But Ooh. my career, or not my career, but my, you know, some of my stuff has shifted. Again, different strokes, different folks. Like for me, mm -hmm. program is 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 very important and it's something that I instill. Um, and I still go to meetings. I still sponsor people. I still work with a sponsor. But also at the end of the day, I, I really shifted more towards God. I got much more involved within the church. I got involved into a Bible study. Um, and then I have like a mentor group, basically that's, it's kind of its own subsidiary yeah. of, of a meeting. And, yeah. 
it's what works for me. And we had to make yeah. a shift during COVID when all that happened. And it <clears> went from going to in-person meetings. So there was like four or five guys that, that literally would take, we'd mm -hmm. meet almost three or four times a week and go on walks for a few miles on the beach. And that was kind of what it was. Uh, and that's what worked for me. You know what I mean? And I really found that. And again, as we obviously had the, the key foundational principles of, of, of recovery and, 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 and the meetings and stuff that were associated with that. But, um, you know, for me, uh, uh, yeah, it's, I think again, is what you put into it, it's what you're going to get out of mm -hmm. it. You know what I mean? And so I don't think there's a, a major shift, um, from the meeting dynamics or things that I've seen here. Um, I think people are a little bit more open in, in Southern California or California mm -hmm. as a whole around recovery. Um, just kind of breaking the barriers and, and cause I've done quite a bit of work out here for, for the public. Uh, you know, even just doing a PSA that we just recently done for, for, you know, the state of Tennessee and just seeing people's perception on, on addiction versus mental health, uh, in the South is a little bit different. Um, and, but outside of that, I think the recovery community is, is fantastic and people are very dedicated and motivated. Uh, yeah. There's like some warriors there. in Southern California, like, you know, yeah. with their literature, with yeah. their t-shirts, you know, breaking it off. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's, it's, um, it's a beautiful thing because I think it just creates a lot more access and identification where somebody can walk in and feel. Well, that's, I do like to, and that's my whole thing. And that's why I love that you guys, you know, even wanting me to be a part of this podcast is, you know, I believe to create systemic change, you have to create the conversation. And it's like, you know, it's, it's being able to talk about it and being able to let people know that there is a, a way out, you know, be a beacon of hope for those that are lost. And because there's obviously so many people out there that struggle and again, is I'm not saying that you have to break the traditions. I'm not even talking about that. I know. We're putting no. that in its own corner. Yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about the whole other side of it. Yeah. And it's like the the more that you can be open and communicate about that, like because I just know from my own personal story, everybody got to see the negative for 10 years on TV and everything that I went through and all the different stuff and to like be able to have a, the redemption side. You know how many people we've been able to touch and how many people have reached out for guidance yeah. and help and or relatability, connectivity, a sense of safety, like you said. And um and so there, there is profound things that can happen from the other side um, that needs to be addressed. Well, for, I just want to give you credit because I wasn't on TV for 10 years. I don't know if you know that. I think and you And so, were. you know, you're, you made an intentional decision to put yourself out there that I think it's easy for me to sit back and say more of those people should do that. But I just want to thank you for doing that. I appreciate you it, know, man. To, to, to make sure that there are some people that feel like, because you've certainly touched at least one life. No, I, and if I, that's the case, it's worth it, you know? It, it is. And, you know, and, and it's, you know, at given, I mean, I went into something just so blind, you know, and, and again, I think just from my story, it's like, we had no idea what we were signing up for. You know what I mean? When, when this all age, happened, I mean, there yeah, was nothing yeah. else like it. I right. mean, Laguna Beach was one of the shows that like revolutionized the way soft scripted reality TV shows were done. That's what created the Housewives. That's what, you know, then the yeah. Kardashians come after. It was all these different shows that followed that. Um, and so we really had no idea what it was going to turn into, um, you know, but again, as you, you take all that, that did come with it and somebody that is struggling at a very young age already with, you know, mental health issues and addiction, it's just adding fuel to the fire, you know, and somebody that struggles with an overinflated ego and an underestimated sense of self-worth, Let's uh, go. you know, exactly. It, it, uh, yeah. It's just a rep recipe for disaster. It's a perfect recipe for disaster. Yeah. Like introduce all of that impact and that influence and seeing your face on TV and what do you think is going to happen? You need to remember there was no TikTok. There was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. It's either you had cable television or that's right. You didn't, that's you know? Right. And so that's that was right. what was, that was what the, was the weird thing is we were like the prior to all of that, like that's, that's where you got, I mean, you literally had to go online and like go to preshilton.com or tmz.com. <laughs> like you want to get your like yeah, information yeah. and, 
it was just a different time that we lived in. Um, so what was your mindset when you look back all those years and you think about cameras in your face and following you guys around dry? I just, I'll confess. I remember, you know, I'm 34, so I, I don't know exactly how old I was when those shows were coming out, but I remember them coming out, right? Laguna Beach. Was Laguna Beach first? Yeah, it was Laguna Somebody's got to come yeah. at me in the comments, you yeah, know, but dude. Laguna Beach was first. And I remember like seeing y'all in your group, just they'd follow you guys around and everything yeah. y'all were doing. So do you remember, um, just as you reflect what your mindset was and were you aware at all that addiction was a problem for you? Were you aware at all that perhaps this was something that needed to be reconciled eventually for you? So, I mean, there's a few different ways I can put this into perspective. You yeah. know, like randomly, I'll just share the first one that comes to mind is um, my wife and I, when Netflix picked up the shows, they just got put back on TV. Like we thought it'd be funny. Like I didn't watch it in 10 or 15 years. Uh -oh. And just to go back and watch a few of the episodes, yeah. I was blown away. And I was actually, I, I randomly, it was 18 years since the show aired. I was just on Access Hollywood and we did an interview and she's just like, you know, what was your perception? Because we talked about that. And after like knowing what I know today and looking back at what, what I was going through, I can totally see just how sick and how mm. lost that person was. So what you were really seeing there was somebody that was really struggling. Mm. Um, and in that mindset, you have to remember, you know, at 17 years old, 18 years old, you know, we didn't have the knowledge we have today, uh, the understanding, the conceptual piece. And, the, and prior to that, I think it's important to understand before all this even happened at the ages of 12 or 13 years old, I struggled severely with OCD to the point where I'd wash my hands till they'd bleed and I'd have to wear neoprene gloves at night uh, with neosporin in them. And so I can actually, through all this work, I can see that I struggled with addiction way before I even picked up a drink or a drug. Mm -hmm. And so at 12, 13 years old, going through this mental health challenge on the outside, living a double life because I was, you know, I had a lot of friends, popular kid that had, you know, was good at sports and I would kind of dive into the things that I was good at to deviate from what this was. But then you go into my home and to see these issues that I was struggling with, I was, you know, telling all these different stories within myself Parents, you know, had grateful, I had resources and access to be able to try to go get that help. But even then with all the psychiatrists, all the therapists being put on an SSRI, understanding an, a little bit of what that was, it helped mitigate the symptoms, but I never did the work. And then that's what <laughs> unfolds into addiction down the road, right? And so then there's all these underlying things when this this show comes out that I don't know how to process it. Even if I knew exactly what was going on at that, how do you try to explain that at 13, 14 years old? And my parents did the best they possibly could. Absolutely. But also being at a place where it's like, go to today kids are much more effective at communicating. And I can even see that with my six-year-old. But back then it's like, to my knowledge, it was, I wouldn't even know where to start on how to try to express this. And I even know that I wasn't being completely honest with therapists. I can, I can look how back and you? be like, know what I want to tell you, dude, who are, who are you? You know, get yeah. your little dog in here with us. And I don't know that I want to share anything with you. And, and it was just a, it was a, it was a tricky environment. So I think going back to like this as a whole is the mindset that I was in is I was, I was really lost and I was just trying to feel like feel normal. Um, mm. and so like I was dealing with like the OCD stuff again, felt better because of the medications, but then it was like, um, you know, just all the underlying pieces that come with it, it went into other areas of my life. And so as a kid, you know, at 16, 17, going to, into it, you know, not yet, like you go back to 15 and 14 to 15 when I was, you know, started drinking, I was like, hey, this is what I was missing, you know? Exactly. Um, this feels great. And so then it kind of, that just obviously, mm -hmm. you know, we know addiction, it's primary, it's chronic, it's progressive. And, and uh, like I said, it just became a thing that was adding fuel on the fire. But by, you know, after Laguna going to the Hills, like, you know, after getting arrested now multiple times, after going to, you know, I went to a wilderness program in Utah, I came back, I went to a boarding school. And then, you know, I started to go to treatment and stuff. It's like, 
still even at that age back then i was like dude i don't have an issue like this is what all eight, like 18 19 right. year olds go through right. and it's like also keep in mind too it's like at 18 19 i was being paid to party and like travel the world most of my friends are just looking for fake ids and so I, nothing was nothing was conceptually easy to digest and right. there was nobody that could really relate to it at that time right um and so it was just kind of you're you're shooting from the hip obviously some of my other castmates and other people that didn't struggle with addiction they were able to kind of really figure it out and how to how to capitalize on that and to to move in other areas of the life of, of success but um when you're in the thick of it dude like you know i mean when you're active in addiction you lose the right to make your own decisions i mean your frontal cortex your executive operating skills i mean you're the way that you operate on a daily basis is 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 non-existent i love what you said about uh mitigate the symptoms but not do the work yeah you know i think that's a perfect example of a lot of folks addiction journey you know yeah. we're gonna which makes sense, right? I'm going to treat the symptoms or I'm going to fix the legal issues or I'm going to fix the problems with my relationships, but it's usually not until the end of the road, yeah. right? What is there left to do, if you will, that we start to sort of reflect, hopefully with people around us. Yeah. Because I don't know about you, that's how I was introduced to recovery. It wasn't yeah. a doctor. It really wasn't even a book. It was the identification that I felt with other people that were telling my story, but they looked totally different than me, yeah. which is a jarring experience. Yeah, 100%. You know, um, and uh, I, I think that that helped catapult me into really just a little bit of hope. Wait a minute. They're just like me, but they've somehow seemingly managed to change. What's going on here? And maybe that one step at a time that has led me in towards a life of recovery Yeah. just for today. As you think about and continue to reflect about your experience on those shows and in your life and growing up in front of a TV camera in a lot of ways, can you talk about or sort of illuminate what it was that helped you get to recovery, what it was that helped you hit that quote bottom? Yeah. Um, I can tell you exactly my moment of clarity. Um, you know, again, as I'll preface that, uh, addiction, uh, obviously took everything away that, you know, was, was important. It takes, you know, all your passions, your purposes away, the things that you love doing, um, and, and to isolation, but it also took me not to only contemplating and attempting suicide. And so, kind of went down that road uh, that was very, very, very dark. And, you know, I, I preface like on the outside, it's it's funny because you know, I had everything society says is amazing, whether it was notoriety, access, money, what you, you name it, girls, you know, and, and uh, uh, that wasn't enough, right? And again, is is it's, it's, it's never enough. And so with all that being said, there should have been multiple times where it's like, hey, okay, maybe this is the time. But um, the moment of clarity was actually when I was sitting in a therapist's office yet again for literally the thousandth time and my parents were across the way and um i've never i mean we've been in, we've had multiple meetings like this but talk about god and just uh literally a, a light that just came in during this but he looked across at me and i've never seen him break down and he's like the patriarch of our family besides when his, his mother had passed away this is your father my dad and he just looked across and he's just like jason we just we don't know what to do anymore you know what i mean like and he's had these conversations before but for some reason this really resonated and him and my mom and uh, you know, as a tear comes down his face, he's just like, we, we're we're complete loss. Our marriage is suffering. Uh, the, and again, there's codependency there. There's a whole sure. other story with that. Um, you know, the marriage is suffering. The family is just at a complete loss. And, and mom and I are, you know, laying in bed every single night, like two planks of wood waiting for the phone call that you're dead. Mm. And uh, when that happened, um, there was just a shift and there was a motivation where I was like, look, I don't care enough about myself. Um, but because of the upbringing, because of what you guys have done, just being amazing parents and stuff, that was a motivating factor where I ended up getting on a plane that next day and went out to Florida. 
Um, and I went back to treatment for, I think it was like the 12th time at that point. Um, and there was a real shift. Um, and I think that's something I want to share about is, is because you hear all these people say like, you have to want it for yourself. And for the, and for, I'd say as the general, uh, as general consensus, yeah, that that's it. But that's not my story. Uh, it wasn't for me. Um, it was for other people that then after acquiring some time, yep. my life started to shift and I was like, I can get, I can see this. I right. was able to get out of the darkness and I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. And that became my motivating factor. And so, um, right. cause I run into a lot of people that are, you know, it's, it, you know, they, and, and yes, you have, there's gotta be some buy and every, every single case is different, right? Sure. It's, it's, there's so much that goes into it and so much backstory and, and understanding for that. But for me, it was literally, you know, I, I owe that to, to, the, to my parents, the upbringing, what I was able to hold on to that because that became that motivating factor because I had no fight left. You know, I was, um, I was, I was done. I experienced a lot by the age of 23 and I was like, dude, okay. Um, but clearly, um, you know, the great, your greatest deficits can become your greatest assets. And, uh, um, that's where the real journey began. And that's where a lot of stuff shifted for me. And, wasn't over that, you know, it wasn't over yet, but uh, it gave me a completely different perspective. I was able to establish, you know, a, a purpose and passion and and um, find a life again, you know, and get back to the things I love doing, you know, whether it was surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding, wakeboarding, you know, even joining a softball league, go bowling, I mean, go golf, you, you name it. Um, that's the type of person I was. I was very outgoing and I loved doing all those things, but I stopped doing all of them, but I was able to, to reestablish that and and I ended up getting my, my first job in, in recovery after that. You know, I really? worked with Mike Netherton, who was the president of Betty Ford for 25 years, who yeah. was my mentor and at Northbound with him and Paul Alexander. And Oh, I didn't know you were at Northbound. Yeah, okay, so yeah. I started there, and they took me under their wing with 90 days of sobriety. They're like, dude, we're taking a big risk here. And I was like, I'd be worth it, man. And so <laughs> um, they took me under their wing, man, and I started as a recovery advocate. Uh, and no was kidding. Help people get acclimated and acquainted into to detox. Helped with marketing and tell everybody what a recovery advocate is. So I helped everybody get acclimated and acquainted at uh, at the treatment center. So basically, I was like the the liaison between the clinical team and the and the staff or the clients. Um, and so again, they'd come in. I'd express you know what to expect, uh, what to oversee within the program, uh, transitional components that they would be experiencing. Uh, and just be a resource for somebody to confide in, you know. And I was going to say, we should shout out all the RAs all over the 100%. country, you know, the tens of thousands of them that are the backbone of treatment centers yeah. that are there to welcome you, that are there to help you go through the lunch line or whatever, that are there to talk yeah. to you when you're smoking cigarette after cigarette after <laughs> cigarette, wanting to leave. Crisis the, management, yeah, for sure. absolutely. 100%. Yeah. No, it was incredible um, because I actually worked with Jimmy, who was, I think Mike says he was like the first ever recovery advocate at, at Betty Ford, you know, 20 oh, cool. years ago. And, yeah. and so he was kind of my mentor through the yeah. process and ended up developing a whole program through that and then went into marketing and, and was there for, you know, four or five years. And uh, it was it was incredible, though. But that was one of the biggest pieces to my sobriety that I add, like, out of all this, but the purpose that I was instilled by just getting a job um, and having somebody to report to and having, you know, to be accountable to somebody and I had that for so long in my life, um, you know, because growing up, as long as I got decent grades and I played baseball and that was kind of like all I needed to really do. And, um, you know, and so having that really was a motivating factor. I'm like, wow, huge. this is cool. So, it's huge. And being passionate about it. Yeah. You know, like I've had a ton of jobs working at a golf course, driving a little cart around, picking up the golf balls was my first job, <laughs> no you know, way, yeah. at a country club, getting smashed yeah, yeah. in the side or whatever. Target practice. Yeah, target practice. But 
it really does shift in your life yeah. when you can find something that really you want to get up and go and do. Yeah. And it sounds like that RA position was the beginning of your journey. It was. And it, but it gives you a perspective too. You know, I think the, the, the beautiful so thing around that was, again, is, I know you're not supposed to make that type of work part of your program, but at the end of the day, I mean, when you're there every day and you're seeing people come in just completely defeated, it's like, Dude, one is I'm very grateful I'm not in that spot, but two, it's I know where this, you know, as they progress and go through this process, there's nothing better than being able to witness somebody's life transform. Look, as a person who came into treatment with no esteem. Yeah. Right? As quiet as it's kept. Yeah. None. People yeah. talk about low esteem. I had no esteem. I didn't I was not aware. Yeah. Because I had that massive ego at the same time, which causes some interesting problems. But I went back my story was like going back to school. And what school gave me that I think work gave you is um, some esteem and identity too. And identity, you know, they say that by um, you get self-esteem by doing esteemable acts. Yeah, you know, so showing. I remember uh, I dropped out of universities many times, right? And I remember calling my sponsor when I started school again in Texas. I was like, I don't. I'm gonna fail. I have no idea what I'm doing here. I'm a fraud. I was feeling so different because yeah. I was a non-traditional student. Yeah. At 20, because I had dropped out, which <laughs> you know. But he, go, he was like, what are you talking about, man? Show up early, stay late, sit close to the front, take notes and ask for help. And I'm yeah. like, I don't want to hear this shit right now, you know? <laughs> but he was right. And then the other yeah. thing he told me, is like, if you do everything, there's this magical uh, document that they give you <laughs> at the beginning of every class. It's called the syllabus. Yeah. And if you do everything <laughs> in the syllabus exactly when they say to do it, you're going to be just fine. And it was just mind-blowing. It's like, amazing how that no works, way. right? I never knew, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but it gave me just a little piece of esteem along the way that maybe being an RA for you and getting into marketing and then really what you do today, which is able to give back to a larger community through public service announcements. I kind of wanted you to talk about that a little bit because you've done so much by way of advocacy. You wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah, man. I mean, it's like, there's a a lot of stuff that we've gotten involved in. And I think it's, it's again, is when I got out of the way, you know, and just allowed, mm. you know, really, really surrendered to that process and took guidance and direction. Uh, it's amazing the things that have, have unfolded, um, you know, just through this whole process. Like I tell people, I kind of still have one one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat when it comes to media because I'll, I'll leverage and try mm. to utilize that still, um, you know, because the Hills came back out in 2019, 20, and 21. So there was just like rebirth and it created, you know, a little bit of opportunity. But mm. the reason I ever stay on that is to try to use that as a platform to, again, bring you awareness have. to everything. You and, absolutely have. Um, but uh, so that's an intentional decision. It, it, I just want to give you credit for that. I appreciate it. And that's, and I, but I'm aware of it and I know that. And, and, and it's, it, look, it's a great microphone for that. Um, but that's just this, this work is just with how many people, I mean, look, we're dealing with the leading cause of death in America for 50 year old individuals and younger is, is substance abuse. Right. And I mean, so we're looking at something that has progressively gotten worse over the last 20 years. There's been no plateau in sight. And so, I mean, there's, and more and more people are wanting to learn about this. And unfortunately in my eyes and all the people that I work with, with doctors, researchers, and different stuff, we're, you know, it's, it's almost kind of like, even when it comes to mental health, we're in this slingshot mentality because there's still a lot of stuff that's about to happen. You just look at the data, you look at the facts and it's, and so I think people are starting to see and see and and more and more people are talking about it. And so I just think, again, just being a part of the solution, you know what I mean? And whatever, whatever opportunities can, can be a part of that. And so I've casted my net, you know, I mean, I work with, you know, Dr. Daniel Amen, which is incredible. And, and I think even in my recovery journey, working with Daniel now and being the, the director of their foundation, it's been incredible because now I'm in a place in my life where I'm wanting to learn more about my mental health. 
And working with him after I went and saw him, he was able to identify the OCD in one brain scan that I had with him that I had pandas. And basically, mm. which is where strep throat attacks a part of your brain that creates OCD. And so, I mean, just knowing that, it would have been amazing to have known that 20 years ago, but to have right. this knowledge and this understanding and to, to continue to deepen my understanding. So a lot of the work that I do is just, it's also a continuation of me getting to know myself better. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I love doing the philanthropic stuff and I love being a part of those processes and, um, I think it's, it's, again, it's just, you're able to, you're a product of your environment, right? And so what you put out there is what you're going to get. And so I've been able to meet and connect with some incredible individuals to, to instill a shift and to instill change. And, um, you know, instead of just talking about like one project, I mean, we're, we're doing so many different things. Um, uh, and it's just a blessing to be able to be a part of those types of things. Yeah. How can we help? How can people that are listening to this help you? I, I think, you know, I mean, for for me, I, the the best way to kind of stay up to date or current is, you know, just my website's jasonwaller.com or just on Instagram is, is my form of just kind of like communication with things. Uh, because I don't want to give you a laundry list of just all the different things that we're doing and working on. Sure. But it depends, again, different strokes, different folks, whatever one may you know, re- relate to you, whether it's more mental health, whether it's more substance abuse, whether it's, you know, suicide, um, you know, you can check those things out, but there's a lot of amazing resources. And I think it's just, you're, you're doing it just by having us here and, and, and creating a conversation. Yeah. There are a lot of really amazing resources in this country, you yeah. know, that we're not aware of, you know, like mentioned, you know, Cumberland Heights has been in Tennessee for 57 years and um, it should not be surprising, and it isn't. But there's so many folks just in this state that have no idea that we're here, yeah. you know, and and no idea that we can be a trusted partner for your family or you as an individual to make um, a good treatment decision yeah. to try to help you change your life one step at a time. I mean, it's 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 key and critical, and that's really what our work is focused on is just trying to make sure that people know that we're here. Yeah. No, Period. Full stop. Are... I told you before the show, like we we don't try to get out of our lane. Like we help people with addiction, and we love it. Well, that's, yeah. and that's why you guys have had the success that you've had. And that's why you've had the reputation that you have. And, you know, you yeah, guys, it's, it's important because um, you guys are a great resource. What do you want people to know about addiction recovery? Um, Jason Waller. What do I want people to know about addiction and recovery? I mean, I think, you know, for the people that don't understand addiction, you know, for me, like my message is for especially people that struggle with like opiates or meth or different things. There's there's no such thing as recreational use of heroin. There's no such thing as recreational use of there's not meth in my eyes. You know, people people have been trying to argue that and or drinking totally. a bottle of vodka a day, right? Totally. Like using oxycontin every day. That ends in why it's not or normal. just injecting your neck or your foot or you know. So yeah, yeah. But when I talk to that, like on a serious note, it's it's really understanding. You know that 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 a person that has to do that is is got to be in a very miserable state. Right. Um, and I think it's really important to identify, look, addiction doesn't dictate who we are, but it also doesn't justify our actions. But to have a, a better, under, uh, a, a more sympathetic approach to people that struggle with this, because it is cunning and it is baffling, it is powerful, and it is a miserable, miserable place to be. I tell people, like when I first started using it, drinking and using was fun. It became a lifestyle and it became a way of survival. Um, and it's a survival gene, you know, and, and when you're active in that, it's a, a crappy place to be. So, you know, somebody's struggling, try to have a more, uh, a better understanding, get a little bit more education around it and, and try to approach it with love uh, would be the first thing. And I think that recovery, um, you know, it it really is, uh, hmm. it's, it's transformed my life. Um, I've been able to get to know who I am at a deeper level than I ever, ever thought I could have expected. 
Um, it's allowed me the opportunity to be a husband. It's allowed me the opportunity to be a father. It's allowed me the opportunity to be a good son, a friend, um, and a family member. And it's allowed me to focus on what's most important in my life, which is about the memories I have, the legacy, uh, the memories I, the memories that I create, the love that I have, and the legacy I leave behind. And um, none of that was clear uh, in active mm. addiction. And mm. uh, recovery is has changed that, you know. And it's a it's a day to day thing, you know. And I think for people in recovery is it's important to um, uh, you know, it's, you have the decision on a daily basis to wake up and either contribute or take away from what it is that you're doing. Uh, because no matter the amount of time, uh, or what it is that somebody has, uh, we all have, you know, just, it's, it's just that one day at a time kind of component and, and what are you putting into it and what are you going to do uh, yeah. to succeed? I thought that recovery was going to be all about drugs. What do you mean? Well, I thought that, you know, my addiction was, I thought that I experienced addiction because of the drugs that I was taking Yeah. and come to find out is because the habits that I had formed and a little bit of the mechanisms inside me that were pulling me to change my mood and my mind, right? Yeah. That I was uncomfortable in my own skin. Correct. And so a lot of the work has really been inside. Well, dude, yeah, drugs know? and alcohol aren't the problem. There They're the go. solution, man. There you go. A hundred percent. You know, I think that's, that's a very important thing to touch on is, is it's, it's, it's a masking, problem. it's escapism, you know, yeah. it's what are we trying to escape from? So. Yeah. Yeah. And recovery I thought it was going to be this complex, like, you know, climb on top of a mountain, you know, find some insight that was going to unlock all these issues <laughs> in my head, right? You know, like that I've got to go. Because yep. it's the way we think about medicine. Yeah. You know, I want to, I need to go seek a professional or take something yeah. and it'll fix this broken bone. Yeah. Right. And behavioral health is a, is a process, not an you event. You bring up a great point. I think that's the other thing people need to understand is, is, you know, somebody that's been going through it 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, for them to go away just for 30, 60, 90 days is... To understand it's it's more than that it's it's very important that they get that help they you know go to a place where they can actively arrest the disease and get stabilized but it's it's a lifelong journey yeah you know what i mean um yeah. i mean you see people with 20 years 30 years relapse go back out um, yeah. and again that's i think there's a whole nother conversation on that but i i agree with you i think it's an it's important to have both sides of the conversation um because no it's a lot of it's it's for me it was all internal yeah a hundred percent you know and Recovery is all about relationships too. I really love what you talked about in terms of waking up every single day and making a decision to be a good son or a good husband or recovery is giving you that opportunity. Yeah. And I think it's all about being, for me, it has tended to all be about being authentic, genuine, and, and vulnerable Yeah. and choosing to meet with another man and say, hey, I'm uncomfortable today, Yep. you know, and this is really eating my lunch and have somebody else say, me too. Yeah. And I know that sounds no. woo-woo or wonky, it's not, but for though, anybody but listening, that is the core of what we're talking honesty about. Honesty was the one thing that took me out. You know what I mean? That's period. Um, and the thing that got me back in was honesty. Mm. Um, you don't need to make it more complex or complicated than that. You know, I mean, you're talking to a guy <laughs> that was in a place a long time ago that would be eating a hot dog telling you I was having a hamburger. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, it's it's uh, when I was able to get open and honest after five years of recovery, three years of relapse, you know, like when I finally got open and honest, you know, it, it was, again, an opportunity to, to do that. But it goes back to that structure and consistency for me, man. Uh, I have something that I don't deviate from. You know, I'm not 100% perfect, but I'm pretty damn consistent Absolutely. with That's it. That's something and else to think. You know, it's not a perfect game. It's not no, about a perfect game. It's not. Right? And it's like it's something it's I lead people with, too. Like even guys I work with, you know, oh, I got to do this. I'm going to go to the gym four times a week. I'm going to do that. I'm like, bro, I appreciate the, the ambition and stuff like that. Let's start by just putting your shoes by the front door. You know what I mean? You haven't yeah. been in three years. Like it's, it's just those baby steps, man, that you're putting into it. But also understand that what you put into it 
is what you're going to get out of it. If you go to the gym five days a week, you're going to get the results of going five days a week. If you don't, you go once a week, you're going to get the results of going once a week. It's the same thing for your recovery. If you go and put effort into it once a week, you're going to get the results of that. Right. You do it five times a week or seven days a week, whatever it may be for you, you're going to get those results. Yeah. So what do you love the most about being a public figure that talks all about addiction and recovery and puts yourself out there? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, it, honestly, dude, I'm, I, I feel like I'm a... Uh, just a down to earth guy. Uh, it was just timing of everything. Um, I, I'm very grateful for the opportunities uh, to be in the places that I am to be able to sh- shed light and, and, and hope. Um, you know, it's it's been an, an incredible experience. You know, it's some very challenging, some awesome things that have come with it. Um, but it wasn't my plan. You know, this mm-hmm. is and and it was it was God's plan, and um, I'm running with it. And uh, you know, it's 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 been a fun journey. Well, we're grateful to be your neighbor. We yeah, look man. forward to spending more time together. Just the fact that you know Joey, yeah, who's on our team now, really excited for to get to know you and to get to know yeah, more man. about how Cumberland can help what's happening in Tennessee. I'm just really excited about that. And I got one last question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> My team would kill me if I didn't ask this, right? But are yeah. there any plans for a season three of The Hills reboot? There, there, you know, it's funny is there was actually talks of Laguna Beach coming back. Really? Um, but, you heard it here first. But... Yeah, there's a couple people. That, we, I love everybody on that, like very close to everybody on that show still, but there's some people that, um, I don't sure. know if I would do Laguna again, but yeah, yeah, who, yeah. who knows? Yeah, yeah. What I heard is he wants to do Laguna and they've signed yeah. on and it's coming out next year. Just We're kidding. actually filming in Cumberland. They're in the yeah, parking lot right now. Yeah. This is part of the opening. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. No. Well, thanks again, brother. We really appreciate you being here. Hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much. Yeah. Man. Appreciate it.